0: 947 Kumu Kokua, because Kumu cares. We have on the line the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green. Good morning, sir. Good
1: morning, Aloha. I'm so sorry to whoever out there. We, you know, we weren't able to be together last week. It's just one of those things, but I, I really missed you guys, and I'm, I'm pleased that in the week since we last spoke, or the two weeks really, we're seeing good change, and we continue to see a drop in the overall number of people in the hospital, probably the most important thing. Um, We're down to 45 people in the hospital as of seven this morning. As as people probably read in the newspaper, we've reported some fatalities, uh, but those are mostly being reported from the surges that occurred in August, September and early October, Mm. because it does take time to, out of respect to the families, to make sure we do the data right. So that's what that's what that's a reflection of. But the fatalities are dropping on a day to day basis significantly now. We're down to a total of 1,455 active cases, which is, I would say, lowest in the nation, I'm almost certain. And we're continuing to do what we need to do, which is we now have 123,721 people who've got their boosters. Our keiki, including my son, uh, Sam, who's 11, got his first shot. Uh, Ages 5 to 11, we have 119,000 wonderful little citizens, young citizens we're we're doing what a lot of other states aren't doing and that will probably keep us from having a significant challenge surge and and um, kind of do-over of the pandemic. We don't want to do this again. We want to get through this.
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, can you help us understand what is happening in the hospital? So it's a wonderful piece of news to hear that specifically coronavirus hospitalizations are so low. I think earlier uh, you were mentioning that's the lowest point since uh, July, I think, um, with 43, yeah. 45 hospitalizations right now for coronavirus for Hawaii. Um, but in the meantime, our hospitals have never been fuller. In fact, this week, we hit 2,400 people in the hospital. Mm. Um, the previous uh, record at the height of the pandemic was about 2,300, 000, uh, uh, 2300 um, something right. and some change. So what is going on here? Uh, uh, what and, and what kinds of takeaways should our listeners have?
1: Well, the main thing that is going on is that we... we we kind of paused on a lot of other health care for a long time. Remember the stories that we were talking about uh, back two and three months ago when the hospitals were so full, mm-hmm. when we peaked at September, on September 3rd of 448 critically ill COVID patients in the hospital, we couldn't do things like some people couldn't get there. Um, breast cancer treatment because there was too you know there are too few nurses to care for people after surgery or some individuals with heart attacks had to be managed in an outpatient fashion almost like just the medications rather than coming and get their um, stents or bypass surgery. Well, all those things that got put off several months ago are now being caught up on because these are very important things. Whether it's a colonoscopy or uh, a treatment for a cancer or a hernia treatment, you know, someone's just getting their hernia repaired. All this basic healthcare stuff is now there. And then also, I will remind people here we are on November 12th. This tends to be when you start seeing surges in pneumonias and influenza, although we've got very little flu because people are wearing masks, right? Uh, still a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's another thing. Now, um, vaccinated people are not wearing uh, masks because they don't need to outdoors. And, and, a lot of people are starting to get a little over the whole um, restriction thing. I understand. I'm, I'm human, too. And so you will see some flu come back. But that's why the hospitals are full. It's mostly catch-up on other healthcare procedures. And it's very important stuff. I, I can tell you as a family physician, you do need to keep your eye on some of those challenges. And that's, that's where we are. But we do have enough beds and nurses. And we actually are absorbing some of the nurses that came and were the visiting nurses during that that great work that Hilton Raithol and the Healthcare Association did for the state of Hawaii with the DOH that that brought those nurses here and some of them wanted to stay and live here afterwards so i'm proud of them
0: mm, mm, thank you um, as a follow up should people be worried? There's sort of like this. Uh, now, a lot of those nurses we did get to, you know, went uh, with the FEMA funding, bring uh, hundreds of nurses in. And some of them are staying on extended contracts. But also there's that Kaiser strike that is, you know, kind of threatened, been threatened. And uh, some people are a little worried, I think, about, you know, whether uh, the ability to get health care will be affected in some way. Should they be worried? Well, they should
1: be mindful of it. I, I always worry whenever any of our health care systems are are at odds with one another because look at the end of the day, the nurses and the physicians and the teams that work at these hospitals, they do like and respect each other very much, even love each other like family, but it's part of the business process and they're going to have to work through it. I do worry about our, our patients, about 20% of the state is cared for by the Kaiser system and they do a great job. But if there's a strike, what will happen is some of that, some of that uh, overflow will go to Queens and Cap- Capulani and HHSC and Castle and all these other places. And you'll remember when we had uh, uh, the West campus go down. Remember when, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when the, the Western facility dropped and then this is before Queens acquired it. Well, when that was down, that's about what happened too. We saw a huge surge that came across the Island over here to be taken care of by the other hospitals. And they were really overwhelmed and it even backed up the neighbor islands. And it makes it more difficult to care for everyone. Now, I'm sure that they will resolve their, their differences. And let me say something on both sides of the equation for them. On the one hand, Kaiser does a very good job taking care of patients and, and the management, I think in general, takes does a good job business wise. Uh, so that's always been a good system. It keeps the cost down in healthcare. On the flip side, though, the nurses and especially the mental health care workers have been quite overwhelmed and have really done so much work along with the docs, so much extra work during COVID, and that has to be respected. We can't We can't allow ourselves nationally to have a shortage of mental health care, and I think that's one of the signature complaints that the Kaiser workforce is making, that there's just not enough mental health care for people because more people – we're doing self-harm we lost some loved ones to self-harm we lost some people to addiction a lot more people um, self-medicated with drugs during the COVID crisis mm-hmm. so those guys have to be honored and they have to get more more support and help and probably even more resource so i'm personally on your show and and i will talk to the management today at kaiser i'm going to ask them to uh to be humble and they should both resolve their differences maybe split the difference but they need to they need to respect these union workers, and they also need to. The union workers are going to need to be taking care of patients because that's what they do best. So we'll we'll get this thing this impasse broken. But in the meanwhile, the rest of the healthcare system will be ready to take care of extra patients.
2: Okay, thank you very much, uh, Lieutenant Governor. What is going on with the mainland? Um, I've noticed kind of a down. Uh, they haven't mentioned it as much. What's been happening with it? Uh, they're, they're talking about surges, or at least as far as I've as what what I've been seeing, uh, there are coronavirus cases surging in several U.S. states. But I just feel like I don't hear about it as much as I used to. Is there a reason You're for right that?
1: About that? Well, I mean, I think people are aware that I, I did a little travel last week, and I was able to see a couple cities. Yeah, I was out there to to have a talk actually about health care disparities specifically. They asked me to come back two years ago about, I, they kept putting off the conference because of COVID, but I took the opportunity since I was, you know, traveled 6,000 miles to pop into a couple of cities very quickly and see what's going on and talk to leadership across those places. And to be frank, they're just over it. They, they have, they have become kind of numb by the, by the pandemic. And mm-hmm. so what you will see is in the airports, people are wearing masks and being safe, but in public places all across the country, they are really reluctant to continue to socially distance or wear masks. It's Hmm. being de-emphasized. The challenge that they have is, unlike Hawaii, where we've vaccinated fully 72% of our people and 88.3% of all those eligible, five and older, 88.3% from five and up, Hmm. have at least initiated the vaccine. They're nowhere near that. Their their national vaccination rate is closer to 58%, which is a big difference, and they are just not emphasizing getting shot. So because of these things, we're going to see outbreaks. Uh, Hopefully they will not overwhelm their hospitals, but I worry. I think they're going to have a tough, like a really tough January and February. Uh, And so I think they're going to experience in January and February what we experienced in September and October, which Mm -hmm. was the Delta surge where we weren't fully vaccinated.
2: Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, because uh, I mean, and I can only go according to what I what I see. But you know, you on Saturday you're watching a football game with like fifty thousand people at a, at something, and then Esme and I are at a football game with you know four thousand people, and we're all yeah. wearing masks and stuff. And you go, you watch the stuff on the mainland, and people go, well, what's the deal? How come we can't do that?" And I'm like, "Well, because we're vaccinated. That you know, like you were saying, 72, 73 yeah. percent, and these yeah. guys are not, and it it will." come back to you at some point in time it's going to boomerang around it just it takes a little while right
1: it, it does it usually takes six to eight weeks to see the big surges and they're gonna they're gonna experience them and they're gonna experience some smack dab in the middle of the time when the winter is surging that's the problem mm. right um when they because they go back indoors it was kind of cold i mean it was like 28 <laughs> degrees when i was visiting my mom mm. and so everyone's going back inside and they're starting you know putting the fireplace going again and all that stuff and it's uh that You know, they need to get boost. Like, I made sure my mom got a booster, put it that way, mm-hmm. because I was really worried about her when she goes to their grocery stores and, and seeing a lot of people not wearing masks. Now, you have a mixed bag. You have some people that are full true believers, right, who just do the right thing and yeah. get immune. Right. And then you have other people that are just not, you know, they're not willing to. And so I just, I worry about them. I mean, I think that, you know how we had that conversation about crisis standards of care mm-hmm. and Rationing care—something yeah. I'm completely against. Why? I'm I'm concerned that that discussion is going to rear its ugly head in many different states across the country uh, this winter time, and don't be surprised if it's you know Idaho, Texas, Florida, where they have just a much lower vaccination rate in some places, and when they go indoors, there will be COVID spread. So mm. uh, it's not totally over. Although for us we can begin to move really aggressively toward normal. I have to tell you, I think that, uh, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Thanksgiving gatherings and Christmas gatherings on our shows, mm-hmm. on your show um, together. Uh, it's gonna be fine and safe for us as long as people are vaccinated and, and had boosters. There should not be significant added cases. It should be minimal. Uh, but if a friend or a family member is totally unvaccinated and they wanna come for Thanksgiving, they should wear a mask and spend Put some energy into being six feet apart because you just can't be sure and there's still going to be some kids running around they won't be fully vaccinated yet
2: mm-hmm.
1: that's the beauty of the holidays but there will be some risk if you're not very few people though so I don't think we're going to see the surges they're seeing in these other states mm-hmm. but they, they don't want to talk about it much anymore so uh, i understand It's that's human nature
0: <laughs> got it okay all right thank you we have the lieutenant governor um, since we are talking about shots and vaccinations wanted to talk about cakey shots real quick because of course recently we just started doing uh, shots for children ages 5 to 11 and uh, i know a lot of parents a lot of parents were excited to help their children get that uh, we saw a lot of kids saying you know they're they're excited to get it as well but a lot of parents also very nervous about it can you tell us um, have have you been hearing of children locally or on the mainland getting serious complications? Has it been how has it been going? And, and also, uh, do you have any numbers?
1: Yes, I do, and I'm happy to share. So, it's mostly good news here. As may be. the 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 vaccinations have begun, as you know, in Hawaii we have 119,000 that there, age five to eleven. That's 8.5 percent of our population. It's significant. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me first say. I have complete and total respect for whatever parents decide to do it was a a tough decision for jamie and i also even though i'm a physician you know we did soul search about this and the right thing to do is to talk to your pediatrician and that trusted relationship should guide you that's the best thing to do now we have not seen significant side effects they have lowered the dose by 70 percent in the vaccination Mm -hmm. for children So it's at just 30% strength. And Mm. as it was described to Jamie by our pediatrician, um, she said, and to me, of course, uh, our pediatrician said, because of that much lower dose, it's doing the job of basically informing the kid's immune system on how to fight COVID, but the dose is small enough that it's not causing significant systemic uh, side effects. It's very Mm -hmm. minimal, it's very benign. Mm. And I think that came as a great relief to, to Jamie and to Sam. He didn't have any. My, my son, Sam, he's 11. Right. Sammy got his vaccination a day or two ago and did great with it. Now, not everybody's the same, you know, but unless someone's got a severe alert, allergy to vaccinations, there's a lot of benefit for kids who are, are going to school, who are school age and are coming and going from uh, classrooms because they will be around a lot of people. Masking is not perfect, as we know, especially amongst young people. And we also want to protect the teachers and the families when the kids come home from school if they were to catch COVID. So it's going well. We were just, we're, you know, obviously we, we've we not had any kids get both of their shots yet because it just started a week ago. But we've had about 5,000 children now in our state already get vaccinated mm-hmm. in that age category, 5 to 11. And my prediction is it's going to be about half of them. Uh, I think half, of, half the parents will probably sit on the sideline and wait a bit, which is, Look, it's it's their prerogative. Do I believe in vaccinations, including kids? Yes. Has there been any evidence whatsoever about infertility or any of those things? No, not at all. That's not what these vaccines do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if people want to pause, it's their choice. Just just ask your pediatrician like you do for everything. I mean, we are very serious about giving measles, mumps, and rubella shots because those diseases are terrible when they Mm they get an outbreak. Or God forbid, polio. I mean, we haven't had to deal with polio in decades, but Polio used to be just the worst thing in society. And now, now we are not seeing that ever here in America. So that's why I I like to, you know, promote vaccination. It's not one of those things that I think should be divisive. It's just, heck, I don't know. I mean, you know how it is. People are are a little bit um, prickly. We've now had 4% of our 5 to 11-year-olds initiate already. That's 4% out of 119,000, that's 5,000. And this this was meant to happen between uh, essentially November and December so that when we go back to school for the second half of the year, most children who go to school are fully vaccinated. And look at our statewide numbers for the adolescents, 79%, 79% of kids 12 to 17 like Maya have gotten initiated for their vaccine and 68% have completed it. So. That's why Hawaii is seeing a lot less spread. We're just we're we're outperforming every other state specifically because of our our people's commitment to getting vaccinated. All
0: right. Thank you. As a follow up to that question about about cakey shots, um, I know that there has been lots of discussion about myocarditis and a lot of parents being worried about whether, you know, their children may be susceptible to that with the vaccine. Have we heard of any of that happening here locally?
1: Not yet. Not, not amongst okay. these um, these young ones. This would be way too early. Uh, yes, it was in adolescent males where there was a slightly higher risk. It was self-limited disease, which is to say that it got better on its own almost every time. It's not every time, actually. And I did hear of a handful of cases where there was... And let me remind people what myocarditis is. It's um, Anything-itis is inflammation. And that means pneumonitis, inflammation of the lungs, myocarditis, inflammation of the heart muscle and it, it causes fatigue and you know it, it can be serious, but it gets better usually in one to two weeks and it was very rare. The reason that we still recommend the vaccination in spite of a side effect like that, which as like six, like I said, was rare, is because the incidence of getting things like myocarditis or pneumonias or pneumonitis from having had COVID is so much higher that you're taking a small calculated risk that you could have a side effect against the very strong probability that your child will catch covid at some point if they don't have immunity. And, you know, that's that's not something you want to ever have happen. The reason we get these other vaccinations like, um, you know, the vaccinations to prevent uh, meningitis for kids is because that will kill you. You know, if you if your child goes off to college and catches it later, that's why we do these vaccinations, because of the severe risk of bad disease. So Mm -hmm. very little side effects mostly it's just soreness in the arm that's been the main thing but i haven't heard and the moment i hear or if the pediatric association reports on it i'll give it to you right away
2: okay thank you very much lieutenant governor appreciate it um speaking about shots want to shift to the boosters real quick um we've got a listener question from d if you've had a breakthrough case do you still need a booster and is mixing and matching cool
1: it is uh yes i absolutely recommend it Once you're fully recovered from your breakthrough case, the recommendation from our health community is to get a booster. And I recommend it because you get an enormous increase in your antibodies. It's at least five to 10 fold increase. That's hundreds of percentage points up where your antibody response comes up. And actually the the immune response from shots has turned out to be a lot more robust than the immune response from catching COVID. from experience on that so i caught covid before we had vaccinations back mm-hmm. you know a year ago in september and then was you know one of the healthcare providers that got vaccinated in uh december and january and then i still was asked to get a booster because after about six months immunity starts to wane meaning drop off a little bit so you're wise to do it but let me reassure that person who called the fact that they had covid means that subsequently if they were to catch it again with or without a booster they're going to have a much more like mellow, low-key illness. It will not be nearly as bad. So they're in a good spot, but I still say get the booster just because this is going to be around for a while. And peace of mind goes a long way, honestly, to not be worrying about catching COVID. So uh, that's the best advice I can give. I'm highly recommending boosters to everyone. And we are now, I think I mentioned earlier, 123,721 boosters already. I'd like to see us get a place where we, every single person in the state, once it's fully approved, gets boosted. And out of our state, now 1,182,774 people have initiated the vaccine. That's like so 1.2 million out of essentially 1.3 million who are eligible. Mm-hmm. Incredible!
0: All right, that's yeah. good to know. I wanted to pivot a little bit to talk about uh, this effort this week that was being made by some of the uh, some of our local lawmakers to try to limit the governor's emergency order. Powers. Now, it's not the first time that we've heard people complain that, with you know the case, the cases dropping and immunizations going up, that restrictions should be lifted faster. So, there's you know this effort to limit uh, the emergency order powers. What do you think about that? And do you agree that Governor Ige has been too slow to ease restrictions?
1: Well, this may sound a little bit um, <laughs> unusual for coming from a guy who is running pretty hard to perhaps become governor someday, but I, I I, actually think that the legislators are right. I think we should limit uh, the use of emergency powers after this long a time. There are times when you have to use emergency powers for a short time to get through crises, mm-hmm. and that's a good way to use it. And I think that there could be value sometimes if, if for instance, the legislature doesn't take action on something like, say, our housing crisis or homelessness, sure, then you the governor has to act. But I agree. I mean, what the governor would tell you, and maybe the attorney general, is some of these things needed to be done while the legislature is out of session. Mm -hmm. But I'm a believer that the legislature should drop into a quick three-day special session if they need to and handle things, because they're very close to the people. Uh, I I am too. I lived as a legislator for 14 years, and I remember that. And if you use emergency powers too long, it really goes around the legislative process. The legislative process is there for the people and the executive branch is there to carry out policy and to sometimes give a good boost of um, leadership by example. So I would like to see us get away from the emergency proclamations. There's a couple of things that could be agreed to quite quickly, for instance, safe travels, I think the legislature has been pretty positive about, and I wouldn't be surprised if they put that into statute for a time easily. And then the mask, mask wearing question, again, there's agreement, but. If a governor or an executive branch just constantly uses that, the legislators feel like they don't have a say anymore. And that's not fair. So I'm with those guys on this one.
2: Okay. Thank Thank you you. very much. Uh, Speaking of uh, politicians, uh, Anne-Marie Medeiros from our Facebook uh, has said, With 60% of the world unvaccinated, how can local politicians declare we have moved from a pandemic to an endemic?
1: We're getting there. And and it's not the, the pandemic will remain in effect. Uh, But we in Hawaii, I think probably just have to clarify uh, this. We will move to an endemic phase of the of this pandemic, which is to say in Hawaii, because we are we're going to get somewhere. Actually, you guys, are the first people I'm sharing this with, we're going to get to uh, essentially 85 to 80, 85 to 88 percent of our state will be fully vaccinated by the time we get uh, through the vaccination program with the kids. Okay, so 85 to 88 percent. And then the remaining 12 to 15% of the individuals will almost all have had COVID. So the virus will just be in the background, and that's when it will be endemic. There will be small pockets of cases, or if immunity wanes and one variant's a little stronger, there'll be little outbreaks. But that's pretty much the description of an endemic phase of COVID. Mm-hmm. And that's where we'll be. I think we should still be somewhat smart and safe uh, throughout. And, of course, when we're gathering in the holidays, we want to we don't want to take extra risk. But we are... We're now very close to endemic. Like I said earlier in the show, we've got a lot of firsts today. We're now under um, 50 people in the hospital, first time since July 12th. So at 45 people in the hospital out of 1.4 million, that is a very small number, I mean, for any disease, let alone something as tough as COVID. And I think what you're looking at is when you're down, we're going to be down in the – let me look at back of my notes. We're going to get down back into like the 30s, okay, with people in the hospital, mm-hmm. maybe even – the 20s which is what we saw back uh, like last spring mm-hmm. and doctors will tell you that that is not a um, that's not a problem for us to deal with statewide so that combined with cases which will just be in the double digits probably get back down into the like around 50 cases a day people will stop testing quite as routinely once we don't have certain restrictions in place that's when you'll think of it as endemic and what I'm targeting is early 2022. I want us to go back to normal and uh, at least toward normal as we can restore kind of hope in a renewal sense. I, I want us to be able to renew our, our living, our kind of quality of life in January of 2022. So let's do our part to kick the crap out of this for the rest of the year. We've got about six weeks left this year till Christmas time and new year's. It's amazing. I guess we've got to go <laughs> shopping soon and, uh, and, and have low numbers so that we start 2022 very fresh with a fully vaccinated population, that is the absolute best approach that we or any state or any country for that matter could, uh, could take.
0: All right. All right. That's good to hear before we go really fast. And I expect that you'll be able to answer this really quickly, Lieutenant governor, a viral trend on social media right now, unfortunately are these videos where people are talking about shot detox. Where they're talking about you can take a bath in certain types of substances, detergents, or I'm not even going to name which ones. And supposedly, it'll remove radiation or remove toxins from your blood from the vaccine. You <laughs> I mean, want a radio transmitter? Yeah, they I know. With Right. Exactly. Radiation. Exactly. Do you
1: want to address <laughs>
0: that really quickly? <laughs>
1: Sure. Don't, don't do that. That's very very
0: stupid. Yeah, very well. that's, that's. Thank you. I thought he would take care of that really quickly. It's <laughs> pretty clear. Right.
2: He's saying don't do yeah, that. Yeah, don't, don't don't do that. Yeah, just in case you missed it. Yeah. The part about him saying it's stupid. <laughs> don't don't do that. Um, uh, real quick. Uh, Lucy Hood also asked us on our Facebook page. Uh, good morning. My 11 year old is adult size. Should she be getting the full dose?
1: She should again talk to her pediatrician, but technically they're going to recommend. Uh, the childhood dose and it's fine. Uh, a lot of eleven-year-olds, especially girls, have you know have already begun to develop and they may be full, you know, almost fully grown. Uh, it will not be a problem though for them to get the pediatric dose because really what we're doing is triggering an immune response uh, to to begin the antibody production. I don't think I would rock the boat on that one. But if her pediatrician quietly uh, gives a full dose, which is the prerogative of clinicians. That's also okay. So two answers here. A lot of pediatric uh, patients that are already, say, 120 pounds or more and are already full height, they are getting, in some cases, uh, the full dose. But I will tell you, I do also have an 11-year-old. and Sammy's uh, a wonderful young man, smart as a whip, but he's not not had his growth spurt yet. And so he got the pediatric dose, and it was Mm -hmm. appropriate.
2: Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. just
1: again, let me just say this. People are in in contrary to those baths or whatever. People are very smart for the most part, and <laughs> follow your pediatrician's advice. Uh, follow your heart a little bit on this. If, if you want to wait, it's okay. But it is good science behind the vaccinations, and it's important as a culture that we follow science, especially especially when there's been a pandemic that so terribly affected our kupuna and you know what we can do in society. So I'm personally. Thankful. And I want to thank all the people of Hawaii for what you know what they did to help us be the best state in the country, and that was um, that's something I'll never forget.
0: All right. Thank okay. you. Mahalo nui thank to you. the Lieutenant Governor of the State of Hawaii, Dr. Josh Green.
2: Hey, it's great to see you guys or hear you. Thanks very much.